Thank you. They gave the easiest topic to the guy who's been married for a year and a month. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Actually, I got to choose the topic, and let's just say that everyone who had already signed up who's been married for like 20 plus years avoided this topic. So it was either this one or I think sex. So, and I didn't choose sex. I'm not uh, mature enough for that one. Hey, my name is... is my name is Matt Velasco. Like Travis said, I have the privilege of leading our high school ministry here at Grace, and I have been married for about a year, and I am far from an expert, and so hear this from the forefront. I'm just regurgitating so much of what I have learned in settings like Merge through mentorship and stuff like that, and ultimately, my favorite part about this title is biblical roles, and so we're just going to dive into scripture today and see what scripture has to say about marriage, and I will say it might be a little spicy, but I promise you it will be worth it, so hold on. So let me tell you a little bit about me. My name is Matt, like I said. This is, um, well, I'll come back to that actually. Wait, where is it? Oh, there it is. There she is. This is my wife. Uh, Her name is Jay. That is our puppy. His name is Kirby. I like to say he's named after Kirby Doc of the Chicago Blackhawks. No one knows who that is, and so it's really Kirby Puckett. Um, I'm also a White Sox fan, and so it kind of pains me a little bit. So then I just say he's named after Kirby from Nintendo, and everyone gets to win uh, in that. Jay and I dated for about three years before we got married. We met at the church we were previously a part of. Like Travis said, I came over to Grace about a year ago, just a year and a couple months ago, uh, and we've loved being here. Um, and, and we've loved being together, obviously. That's why we're married. It still surprises me, but it is the case. Um, so praise the Lord. Uh, like I said, I have, I have the privilege of talking about biblical roles in marriage, and really what I'm calling it is God's design for marriage. Because this idea of biblical roles can make a lot of people uncomfortable, and really why I like calling it God's design for marriage is actually a word or a phrase that a mentor said to Jay and I. So uh, a local family here at Grace, their names are John and Barb. They've mentored us for a couple of years, and they say this about God's design for marriage. They say that um, when you do marriage according to God's design, your hard days will be half as hard, and your good days will be twice as good. So if you're thinking, why should I care about this? Like, Matt, I barely even believe that Scripture is authoritative. Maybe you stand there. Or maybe you're like, Matt, I hold high the word of God every single part of my life. I live according to it, whatever side you fall on. The reason why you should care about this is because across the board, if you do marriage this way, your hard days will be half as hard and your good days will be twice as good. And after a year and a month, I can tell you that's true. Within one week of marriage, we found this out. Within one month of marriage, we found this out, and we continue to finding out each and every day and week. And so before we get started, here's what I want to know. I want to know, uh, raise your hand if you are seriously dating, not yet engaged, but considered or uh, considering getting engaged. Anyone in this room? Okay. Cool. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. A friend of mine goes to a church down in Dallas. Uh, she and her boyfriend started dating and about a month later said, we're going to do merge. And at the end of merge, we're either going to break up or get married. So maybe that's you too. Okay. Raise your hand if you are engaged. You are engaged, getting married soon. Awesome. Okay. Raise your hand if you are currently married. Amazing. Gives us a good idea of what is going on uh, in, in this room. And, and so why this is important it is actually so Let me actually go back a little bit because I lost my place in my notes, and so I'm going to go back, and then it'll help me catch up. Um, 
my dad and I started writing letters back and forth once I got married because we're old school like that. And, and I asked him in the first letter I ever wrote him, I said, Dad, what in the world am I doing? Uh, I got married about a month ago. I don't know what I'm doing. I am terrified, but also not terrified, and I just need your help. Because so often, and I'm sure if you are engaged, thinking about getting engaged, or even married, you've heard this before. So many people said to us, marriage is the hardest thing in the whole entire world. To the extent where we had someone once tell us, yeah, I don't know if we're going to make it. They're a year into their marriage, and they were telling us, we don't know if we're going to make it. Christian served at a church with us, and literally she was like, "Ah, hopefully we survive. And we walked away from that, and we're like, well, first of all, thank you for celebrating our engagement with us by telling us that you might get divorced. Um, But we were told so often, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And so we got married, and I said to my dad, I was like, Dad, like, if it's so hard, what am I supposed to do? And he said this. He said, Matt, marriage is not hard. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel. You will have hard days in your marriage, but marriage itself is not hard. So when I go back to why are we talking about this, it's because of that. It's because your hard days will be half as hard. It's because we will see that when we do it God's way, things are so much easier. So you might be thinking, why in the world should I listen to a dude who's only been married for a year? And and my defense would just be, these are Jesus' words. Jesus talks about marriage. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so this is the first step in it. One question for you. How many of you, raise your hand to this, how many of you want a fulfilling, joyful, fun, passionate, and mutually affirming marriage? Raise your hands. JR's like, I want it. I want it. (laughs) Yeah, this is the first step. Understanding God's intended design for our roles in marriage is the first step to having that type of marriage. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about what marriage roles are going to look like. And so God has a design for every single thing. God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. And he has made it very clear to us from the forefront of scripture that God's design for marriage is that in the, in the family, the husband is the head of the household. Everyone doing okay? We're jumping right in. Let's be honest, today, in today's day and age, that can cause some recoiling to happen. And so let's talk about where the Bible actually says this. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven three, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And a lot of people, when they read this, they get really surprised or they get really confused. And so I want to think about it practically. So if we take like the institution of marriage and we apply it to other institutions that we can think of, whether it's the church, whether it's a business, whether it's an organization, whatever it might be, every single healthy business, church, and organization has a head. And that head steers the organization, steers the church, steers the business. One couple said it this way, the buck has got to stop somewhere. And in the home, it's with the husband. Now, why this is important is because it's actually a great place of protection for the wife and the children, once you have children, or if you have children. It's great protection for them. And so a practical example, this is something that we we see all the time in the church world. Should something go awry in marriage, should something happen, the elders of this church, so if we're talking Grace Church here, the elders of Grace are not going to go 
to the wife or the kids. They're going to go straight to the husband. They're going to go to the husband, and they're going to say, what is going on? Why did this happen? It's your responsibility. Protecting the wife, protecting the children. And so we see that this is a really big responsibility for us men. So dudes, are you, are you seeing the seriousness of the role of being a husband just off the forefront? It's a really big deal. But I don't want you to get twisted. We are designed with God with equal value, and this is really important too. We are designed by God with equal value. Our importance and our worth is equal, but our roles in marriage and how they play out are different. Our importance and worth are equal, but our roles played out in marriage are different. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. On my way to church this morning with uh, my wife, I was kind of walking through what I was going to say. And as we were talking, we, we had a conversation about it. And I was like, how can I, like, how can I say this in such a way that helps it maybe, not, maybe make a little bit more sense, but also how can I say it in such a way where it's encouraging? Because the reality is, is that when we read what the Bible says about marriage, especially in today's culture, we think it's sexist, we think it's misogynistic, we think it's bad, whatever it might be, and we just kind of throw it out. But then we read this, and we see that God also says that there's no male and female. And if we're reading the Bible correctly, we have to read it in such a way where this is true, but what God says about marriage is also true, and they do not contradict. And so if the husband is the head of the household, but there is no male or female, how does that work out? And that's why we're going to talk about the actual roles that are played. It's got nothing to do with equality or rights or lack of rank because men and women are equal in God's eyes. It's about understanding that our roles are simply different. So even though most of us grow up learning what it means to be independent, in marriage we learn how to be interdependent. And so that's, a, that's an important word, and I want you to write that down. Interdependent. Most of life is, is all about how can you be independent? How can you be an independent learner? How many times have we heard teachers say that? This is about becoming interdependent. We are no longer two individual beings, but one in every single way. If you want, if you, like me, like studying theology and doctrine and stuff like that, and you want just like a fun little study that you can do just by Googling it, just Google the term one flesh union. Read what the Bible says about being in a one flesh union. You will see a new view of, of, of marriage that is, that is really amazing. And we're going to talk about four aspects of that design. So four aspects of what it means to be in a one flesh union or to be married. And let me tell you, if you get these four things right, most everything else will fall into place. And I can also tell you, I do not get these four things right all the time. I guarantee you, no one gets these four things right all the time, but we have to strive for it. So here's what they are. Four aspects of marriage that we should strive to get right. For husbands, it is loving and leading. For wives, it is helping and submitting. Now you probably see why I wish someone who'd been married for like 20 years took this. Like Craig's topic was easy. Has he taught yet? Yeah, that was easy, wasn't it? I remember thinking, what in the world, Craig? So here I am talking about loving, leading, helping, and submitting. But I'm actually going to help you redefine 
some of these words because I guarantee you, ladies, you especially, are reading this and thinking, that just doesn't seem fair. Or that seems offensive. Or something of that sort. So I'm going to help you redefine it. We're going to go one by one. We're going to start with loving, then helping, then leading, and we're going to end with uh, either best for, for last or we'll find out what it actually is. So we're going to start with loving. <clears throat> Let me just say this off the forefront. Husbands, loving your wife is going to be the hardest thing you will ever do. It is going to be the hardest thing you will ever do. That may seem counterintuitive or antithetical to much of what you've thought or been taught, and it might even contradict a song or two that's going to play at your wedding or played at your wedding. But it's true. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 29, God tells us as husbands to love our wives. It says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Guys, it starts with realizing that loving your wife has nothing to do with feelings. I remember when we were going through premarital counseling uh, with that same couple, and that was one of the first things that they talked to us about, was loving has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with choosing. Every single day you have to wake up and you have to choose to be in love. And that might seem odd because we think that um, it, it's all about this feeling, this euphoric, these butterflies. But it's not about that. It's about dedication and it's about choosing. God loved us with action by sending his son to die for us, not because we were lovable. And this is the type of love that he's talking about here. It has nothing to do with your wife's performance. This is a really hard concept to grasp, and candidly, like I said, I have to remind myself of this all the time because most of us men are trained in conditional and performance-based relationships, right? So sports, for many of us, has taught us that it's all about your performance. You make the team depending on how well you perform. The business world or your work life has taught us that rewards are based on work ethic. If you work really hard, you get a raise. You're liked by your bosses if you perform well. Roommates have taught us that they are there for helping clean, do dishes, and buy food maybe. But none of this is God's design for marriage. Your love for your wife needs to be unilateral and unconditional. And I will tell you from personal experience, you will find out quickly how deeply embedded conditional love and selfishness is within you. You will find it out quickly. You will have to learn how to decide to love your wife even when everything she's doing or saying is making you want to do the opposite. You have to decide to love your wife. Now, wives, you also have to decide to love your husband. And that will be just as hard. But you have the added bonus where the Bible doesn't tell you you have to do it. You just should do it. So there's a lot more in the Bible that tells us about this, and I wish we could dig into it, but we don't have time. And so, dudes, I want you to write this down. So write down Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. 
And then also write down 1 Peter 3, 7 through 8. Go back, end of the day, read those two scriptures. Ask yourself, can I do this? Because if the answer is no, then something's got to change before you step into marriage. So let me give you some practical things I have learned in a year about how you can do this. Listen, don't fix. Listen, don't fix. I am horrible at this. Because so often I'm just like, there's an easy fix. It's easy, but it doesn't help. Be studious of your wife. Study what she eats, her preferences, her gifts, what she likes to do, and don't wait for special occasions to act on it. Do it often. Serve her every single day by choice, not by obligation. Okay, dudes, take a breath. Take a breath. We're going to the ladies now. Let's talk about what it means to be your your husband's helper. This is one of the most thoroughly misunderstood aspects of being a wife, in my opinion. Because it actually is a place of great power and responsibility and authority, not the opposite. Galatians 2.18 said, Then the Lord God said, or Genesis, excuse me, not Galatians. Genesis 2.18 said, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him fit for a helper. A lot of women struggle with this title and role, and I just want to say from the get-go that's okay because it's counter what our culture touches or teaches all over the place. And so I want to clarify one thing before we go into it. This is not saying that women can't be leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, strong-willed, etc. In fact, it's actually much, 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 much more empowering than it may seem. And so I don't want you to take my word for it. I actually want you to take God's. And so um, I, I want to ask a question. How many of you know who else is referred to as a helper in Scripture? Anyone, shout it out. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 through 17 says, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells within you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit is the helper. So much like the Holy Spirit helps believers do or be something they could not do or be on their own, so also does a wife help her husband do or be something that he could not do or be on his own. How many of you have seen the Rocky movies? Rocky, come on now. There should be so many more hands. Goodness gracious. Rocky Balboa, in his great holiness and majesty, said this so well. He said, I've got gaps, and she's got gaps, and we fill in each other's gaps. You are meant to fill your husband's gaps, of which there will be many. Now, husbands, if your wife is meant to be your helper, then you have to accept her help. I strive to do nothing without running it by my wife. And when I do run it by her, I always, yes, quite literally always end up with a better solution. I said that to her this morning, and she laughed. And she's like, I didn't know you realized that. I was like, no, I did. If I'm prepared to make a decision and she hesitates or disagrees in any way, then I stop, I listen, I ask, I seek to understand, and I almost always change my course as needed. Keep forgetting I have slides. 
back to the guys. It might seem like we're going quick because we are. Leading is not what you may think. It's not about our rank in the relationship, but about our responsibility. This does not mean you are extra important because you are the leader. And like a CEO, you are above everyone. It's about our responsibility. Mark 10, 42 through 45. And Jesus called to him and said to them, You know that those of you who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it should not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To lead as a husband is all about leading by serving. In fact, there's a really helpful formula for this. Submitting to Christ plus serving my wife equals leading in marriage. You cannot lead your wife if you are not submitting to Christ. You can't be a passive husband. In fact, if I were you, I would write in big, bold letters, don't be a passive husband because you can't be a passive husband. Passivity as a husband and just keeping the pace is a path towards deadness in marriage. I can tell you, working in a church, I feel like I got to watch some of the best marriage case studies I've ever been able to watch in the best ways and in the worst. And I can say that 99% of the marriages that were worst case scenarios the husband was passive. He didn't lead. He didn't fulfill his responsibility. So what does that look like? How can you practically take lead in your marriage? First, you can share what God is teaching you with your wife. You can take initiative in asking for forgiveness in conflict. You can get men in your life that will challenge, encourage, admonish, and spur you on as a husband and a current or future dad. You can make choices in your career that allow you to be home in the evenings, prioritizing having dinner with your wife rather than sacrificing her for work. So if those are practical things you can do, how can you apply that? And so the word you should be thinking of is what's the opposite of passive? It could be action. So it's all about taking action. What do you need to do? Do you need to curve out time to spend in the word every morning so there is actually something that God is teaching you that you can share with your wife? If I ask you right now, what is God teaching you? Do you have an answer? Have you shared it with her? Do you have to drop your pride and ask for forgiveness more often? Do you need to ask someone older and wiser than you to be, for help and to be willing to share things that might be a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable? Maybe you need to sacrifice five to ten hours of extra work that might propel you higher in the company in order to propel your marriage further. Get in community, plug into the church, get someone who's discipling you. Okay, last but not least, we're just going to do it. I keep forgetting I have slides. Oh, Travis is never going to invite me back. Last but not least... 
Do you want to? <laughs> Submitting. The word I'm sure all of you have been waiting to discuss or watch me squirm. And I'm not going to because actually I love talking about this. So um, culture wants you, I'm actually not getting into that yet. Culture wants you to think that submission is a dirty word, but it's not. Submission is not a dirty word. Culture wants you to think that it is. But the biblical definition of submission is beautiful. And you may be thinking, Matt, of course you think it's beautiful. You're the husband. <laughs> Jay would agree with me. And when I said that to Jay, when I went through this with, to, to, to Jay in the car on the way to church, she said, well, yeah, but they're just going to say she only agrees with you because she's submitting to you. <laughs> and I thought, I, I got nothing around that. So that's on them to figure out. So she would agree with me, though. She would. And I do think it is beautiful, and it is because I'm the husband. But she also thinks it's beautiful, and it is because she's the wife. It's meant to be beautiful, not ugly. It's something we have to redefine because of the negative connotations the world has attached to it. And so let's start by uh, defining what it is not. What submission is not. Submission is not blindly following your husband into sin. A good example of this is Ananias and Sapphira from, from Acts 5, verses 1 through 11, right? The story where Ananias and Sapphira go up to the apostles. They claim that they had paid their taxes or something like that. I don't remember the story perfectly. And they're struck dead. Sapphira wasn't submitting to her husband by willingly lying to the Holy Spirit. She didn't have that defense. Well, Holy Spirit, don't strike me down because I'm just submitting to my husband. Submission is not blindly following your husband into sin. It is not being inferior in any way. Submission is not being inferior in any way because we are equals. Again, Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. So again, we have to have a definition of submission that agrees with this. Submission is not physically, emotionally, or mentally allowing abuse or violation of the law. In fact, I would say if any spiritual figure ever tells anyone to stay in a relationship where they're being abused under the guise of biblical submission, then that is not someone you should listen to about marriage. Submission is not blindly following your husband into sin. It is not being inferior in any way. It's not allowing abuse to permit under the guise of biblical submission. What biblical submission is, is based on cooperation, not contention. Submission is based on cooperation, not contention. It completes your husband, not competes with him, because you're the helper. So when I bring something to my wife, and I say, Jay, I think we should do this, and she says, that's a terrible idea, we should do this, because she's my helper, and we change direction together, and I say, okay, this is the decision we're going to make. She follows me. She submits to me in that moment but she has already helped me along the way. 
Biblical submission is also seen throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's seen in the Godhead, the Son submitting to the Father. It's seen in friendships, Jonathan submitting to David. It's seen in God's design of the church, the people submitting to the elders. And it's seen in marriage when Paul says in Ephesians 5, 21 through 22, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so what's it look like to practically submit in your marriage? What are some examples that this might be? It's coming willingly under his leadership. But what does this require? Men to lead. This requires you to not be a passive husband. You are not a husband worth submitting to if you're a passive husband. It means willingly coming under your husband's leadership, assuming he's doing what the Lord has called him to do and, being a, and been a leader. Because here's a fun fact, we can't make you submit, you have to do it willingly. And if you have to make your wife submit, there's probably a problem. Practically submitting your marriage means encouraging him through your words and actions. In fact, I can tell you as a husband, public and private praise is huge. And, I, and that isn't like a, your, your love language is words and affirmations, it's not. But when my wife encourages me, there's nothing that makes me feel better. And that kind of goes just like across the board because in society, men just aren't complimented very often. And so when you can fill that gap, it easily makes us feel loved and honored. You can quickly submit in your marriage by understanding that you are different and the responsibilities and pressures inside of marriage are great. A lot of people get really hung up with Ephesians 5. I've done many a weddings before, and probably a third of them, they've said to me, we don't care what scripture you use as long as it's not Ephesians 5. <laughs> and I think it's so wildly misunderstood because if you look here, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's the portion of Ephesians 5. The rest of Ephesians 5 Husbands, die for your wife like Christ died for the church. A husband who is willing to die for, for, for you, a husband that is willing to die for you is a husband worth submitting to. And so dudes, what should you do with this? What's it mean for you to practically apply this? There are times when decisions need to be made and you will not be in agreement. Rather than go ahead without your wife, again, under the guise of, well, just submit to me, learn to listen and ask questions. God will use your wife to help you make the right decisions. If you aren't on the same page, then get others involved to help you listen to each other. If you still aren't on the same page, keep listening. You should never demand that your wife submits to you. And I love this. Someone said, your wife is God's voice in your life. She is your helper. Don't delude yourself into thinking you are capable of running over her. And so if you walk out of these doors with one thing having been learned, I hope it's that you see that marriage is designed by God to help us become more like him and fall deeper in love with him. And yes, it is about falling deeper in love with each other, but it is all meaningless if we leave God and the dust behind us. 
you are stepping into something, might be considering stepping into something, or have stepped into something that is deeply sacred and holy, and you have particular roles that have been assigned to you. And so I would plead with you as my last words up here to take these roles seriously the moment you say I do. Don't wait a month. Don't wait a year. Start it right away. Because if you start at day one, you'll see that your hard days will be half as hard and your good days will be twice as good. And don't take my word for it. Take God's. Thank you. Another slide that I forgot. Goodness, how many more are there? Just one. Oh my gosh. Hey, let me pray. Lord, we love you so much. We ask that you would help us fulfill the roles you have given us in scripture as husbands and wives. Lord, I pray that we would not see some of these words as dirty words, but beautiful words. Lord, I pray that you would uh, have there be no passive husbands in this room. Lord, but good, godly leaders of families. Lord, thank you that your word gives us a blueprint on how to do marriage well. Praise things your name. Amen. Um,